welcome to this brand new episode of the Silmarillion Film Project. I'm your co-host Dave Kale, coming to you live on an extremely hot evening in Pasadena, California. And we have a really exciting episode tonight. Um, we, we, we had a brief detour over the last few into creative stuff. Now we're doing battles because that's what's mo- that's what everyone's that's here for. How we that's right. That's we're right. getting yeah. into action that's, here today. That's Enough what Tolkien's conversation. Tolkien's really fundamentally a story <laughs> yes. about action. Combat <laughs> scenes. That's really that's really the heart of Tolkien's literature, right there. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Tactics. Um, <laughs> yes. Military descriptions of troop movements. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Nothing he loves better than that. Um, and yeah. And thrilling action scenes. So, uh, as you can hear, I am joined, as always, by my wonderful hosts, um, uh, Corey Olson, the Tolkien professor, and Trish Lambert, the Tolkien maven. How are you all this evening? Excellent. I don't even want to tell you how cool it is in Texas right now. We're having a cold spell. Ooh. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it was very pleasant in New England today, too. Yeah. So, sorry. Sorry, Dave. It's, you know, hot potato. You got the hot potato. Yeah. That's yeah. true. Well, I think uh, we'll, we'll try got to toss the really hot potato up there, but yeah, yes. that's true. Yeah, up in Alaska. So, let's do this thing. Okay, so uh, before uh, we start, just a, a couple quick announcements. The primary thing uh, uh, for our announcements today is it, it is we are getting towards regional moot season again uh, in the Signum calendar. So we we kind of mostly take the summer off of our regional moots, uh, but fall and winter and spring are exciting regional moot periods. So we have uh, eight regional moots planned or tentatively planned this year uh, and the first two of them are coming up in the fall the first one is minute moot in amherst massachusetts a new moot we're finally doing a uh, new awesome. england moot um uh so it's going to be as i say in amherst Ma- i keep saying amherst and i know in massachusetts they don't pronounce the h uh, i grew up in amherst with an h new hampshire uh so like i always pronounce it that way but it's actually amherst when you're down in massachusetts whatever but the point is that's where we're going to be on september 29th the moot itself is scheduled for um uh for a, a now i'm like all of a sudden like wait a second did i put the right date i'm pretty sure i did um uh, because, uh, yes, the 29th, it's a Sunday, uh, Sunday, the 29th. We usually do our moots on a Saturday. This one's going to be a Sunday for, for, for venue reasons. We'll do some stuff on the Saturday night too, I think. And then we'll have the moot during the day on Sunday. Anyway, it's going to be great fun. Really looking forward to doing a moot up here in new England where I'm based for the first time. Uh, so that's going to be super fun. And then on October 12th, will be our third middle moot, uh, where we're going back to Iowa. We started in Iowa went down uh, to Kansas City last year, which was excellent, and then we're going back up to Iowa this year. Uh, so that's going to be great. And Ted Naismith is going to join us at Middle Moot. He is our guest of honor Woo! there this year at Middle Moot. So, uh, so that's going to be super cool. Um, and uh, anyway, so so that's um, uh, that's going to be. Um, uh, that's going to be really, uh, uh, really fun. We're going to, we're, we're looking towards also, so people are always asking about the other moots that we're doing. Um, we're definitely planning Bay Moot uh, in the San Francisco Bay Area and um, uh, Magnolia Moot uh, in the Southeast down in Charlotte, North Carolina. Uh, those will also, uh, we, have, we don't have definite dates for that yet, but we're looking at, we're looking at fall, like late October, early November for those two, uh, for those two moots. Uh, so we'll have four in the fall, and then we're looking at another four in the spring. Um, 
Uh, hey, we're we're in the early planning of LA moot. That's right. That's right. And, or and La uh, moot. Yep, La Moot. Uh, yeah, so we're <laughs> we're uh, uh, yeah going to be out uh, there probably February, right? Is what we're thinking right now. Well, we, there was an email that mentioned February, so yeah, that's probably that's, about as official as it gets. Exactly, we're not official. Yeah, we're 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 sorting it out. So probably maybe February, uh, definitely February, early February, February eighth for Tex Moot. Um, and uh, and then we're looking at Orlando in March, and uh, and then maybe we're thinking about another uh, ending the year with an adventure moot, basically, uh, in Japan. Uh, so working on that, working on that. that one's not definite yet, um, but uh, Nippon moot uh, would be uh, maybe in April uh, this coming year. So um, really, uh, really fun. So, Rachel, great question. Do I know where the European uh, uh, moot will be next year? Yes. We're planning to shift it back to the UK. We, we're, the rough plan at this point is to do like the UK every other year and then alternate on the alternate years to like somewhere down on the continent, uh, like we did the Netherlands this past year, which was fantastic. So we'll be in the UK again this coming year. We're tentatively shifting that forward. We did eight, we've did we done April the last two years for our Europe moot, but we're actually thinking of, of pushing that forward to September. So it's like officially we'll be in the next cycle, but it's still next year. It'll still be in 2020. Um, so we're thinking maybe early, uh, early September, like Labor Day-ish in America. Um, and uh, we're thinking uh, for the location, we're thinking Wales, actually. It's going to be super cool. Um, dragon moot in Wales. Um, so um, that's the tentative plan for Europe moot next year. Uh, and uh, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be spectacular. I'm really looking forward to that. So anyway, um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Tony says that some of you decided if Magnolia moot is around Halloween, we all have to come in costume. Okay. Okay. That would be fun. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, Rachel, there's a lot of cool connections to a lot of things, uh, in Wales. In fact, we might even kind of try to make a, make a special thing of it actually. Um, more, more on that later. We don't have the details worked out yet and it's a ways away. It's more than a year away, uh, more than 12 months away to that. But anyway, that's, um, that's totally, uh, that's the plan right now. So, it might look like we're sort of skipping Europe, but it's only just because we're going to be moving it to the other side of summer and then maybe keeping it there. We'll, we'll see. We'll see what transpires. I'm going one year at a time on this, but, um, anyway. Okay. So, so all sounds very exciting. Those are the plans. Yeah. We're, uh, we're delighted having completed our first round, a uh, full round of regional moots. We did seven last year, looking to expand maybe to eight this year, maybe nine the re- year after. Um, and we had a really successful year. It was, I mean, not only were the events themselves awesome as I've been kind of reporting back when I come back from them, but, um, but we even like we succeeded on our financial goal, which is breaking even. We broke even on the year. I just like reviewed our books and we were like, woohoo, we broke even. So we know it works. You know, the theory was sound, but it works. So that was fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, uh, so we're, I, so I am, I am extra excited for, uh, the second year of, uh, of, of the rounds of the moots. Um, anyway, you know, okay. Corey, honestly, having participated in organizing one, I can say that breaking even no small feat. 
Yes, yes. Uh, it is no small feat, especially since, you know, it's like with me going traveling to all the moods. Like, I kind of have to cover my travel in, in the expenses, too. But we did. It was great. It was fantastic. We uh, And it was perfect. Like, we had about, we ended up with like a... I don't know, like a like a point three percent surplus. I mean, it was almost exactly even. It was it was excellent. Um, so yeah, yeah. No, it was. Uh, we did a great job. Everyone was fantastic. Our organizers were super helpful. Did did a great job, and it was uh, it was it was excellent. So really excited about that. Would love to. I you know I I said this uh, uh, last night when we were talking about it in Mythgard Academy, but. Um, I'd love to. There are a couple regions I'd really that we're neglecting that I'd love to expand to. I would love to do um, to do Maple Moot in Toronto, um, or maybe somewhere else. I could be talked into somewhere else in Canada, but Toronto was kind of what I was thinking for Canada, because um, then we can also get some parts of the U.S. into that too. I like get people able to come in from like Buffalo and maybe up from Michigan or something like that. Um, so. So I'm I have an idea. Toronto, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. No, you're and the finished. other. So, you. and the two other regions I was thinking of. One is the Pacific Northwest. We've never done the Pacific. No- so, like Seattle, I'd love to do Seattle, uh, and then maybe uh, like that part of the Midwest that we're neglecting, like the um, sort of like Ohio Pittsburgh area, like further to the uh, to the eastern part of the Midwest. Um, it would be really cool to have something in that like our vaguely Ohio area would be would be another thing that I think would be kind of cool. But anyway, so my idea is, you know, Texas is a big state, right? So we do have Tex Boot, but that's why like Dallas, Houston, you know, Austin. I think we should do like West Texas and call it Boot Scootin' Moot. Boot Scootin' Moot. See, wasn't that worth it? That was worth that it. Was wor- I'm glad we waited. Yeah, it was totally worth it. <laughs> yeah yeah um yep yeah i uh what you know like uh matthias's suggestion uh that he wants to do one in vermont so we can call it vermouth uh, <laughs> will it be dry vermouth <laughs> <laughs> no it won't be uh or or d may of course you know he uh, we also would kind of like to do one up in alaska which we would call remote um uh but i can see this as an olsen car traveling game. yeah absolutely right like absolutely. we're gonna play the boot game kids that's it. <laughs> that's it that's it this really should be the this really should be the guiding principle for how you plan these things select locations oh absolutely yes cunning names that's you clearly names? It. yes absolutely um, yeah absolutely. now elise is asking will there be a virtual options like are we going to do something like mootcast for the regional moots we don't have a plan for that at this time um i we're still like you know within the we're, we're still early enough in the process especially with most i mean most of the moots that we're going to be doing this year will be their second second time ever through um so we're not yet really wanting to um uh uh we're, Plus, yeah. you have to clone Ed Powell like fifteen times. Well, so. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it would put trying to get Mootcast together for a regional moot would put uh, some significant additional uh, uh, logistical pressure on the planning, which I'm not really prepared to bring into play, and I'm not a hundred percent sold actually on the idea for the regional moots. Um, it's not it's not the same as with Myth Moot, so. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. The, at least the way you know the way LA moot worked i don't know 
Uh, I mean, I guess some of the talks would have been interesting for people to watch online, but like the discussion afterward and stuff, it's like, uh, it, like you wouldn't have yeah. been able to hear. It's, no. There is there is sort of a you know not not to be exclusive and and uh, or anything, but like no, there is yeah, sort of an yeah, element yeah. of the regional moods that like the whole point of it is to yes. do it local and live. And exactly. All that. Oh, yeah. oh, I have another one. I have another one. So if text mood ever falls through, you could have one at my property and call it way meat mood. Way meat mood. Yes. Or just way mood. Yeah. There you way go. Way mood. There you go. Yeah, way mood. That's it. Um, Plus, we we already have an online moot. It's called the Silmarillion Film Project. <laughs> exactly. What is the podcast we're doing today? What, what an, an uh, that was awesome. That was that was that was the best segue ever. All right, so we're moving into the Dagor <laughs> Aglareb episode nine. So, episode eight, we just had the ban. Right, we just got to uh, you know sort of the political drama, um, and uh, uh, we've had uh, we've had the ban, and we've been thinking about sort of the political fallout from that. Um, now we have the action sequence, which is kind of the turning point. You know, between the ban and the Dagor Eglareb, those are sort of the 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 sort of major uh, hinge points in a sense of the season. Um, Okay, so the first challenge that has been set for us to make sure is to make sure that we, we so we've got to think through a solution to the problem of sunlight, uh, so that Morgoth's armies can move freely throughout Beleriand. Because of course we begin the season with the sun having just risen, and the orcs, the armies of the orcs, being sort of more or less paralyzed by that. Um, I was. Resi- so there, there were discussions earlier on when we were talking about. You know, like what's going on in Angband, for instance. Uh, there were discussions about, um, you know, showing like Gothmog working on a solution to this problem and stuff. And I was not real enthusiastic about the idea of showing, you know, like an orc training montage or something where we're showing them being like, you know, thrown out into the sunlight repeatedly until they can, you know, stand it or something like that. Um, but, um, this is, uh, um, yeah, Marie points out that sunlight turns trolls to stone, making them less useful in battles. Yes, marginally so, at least. Um, so, okay, here's, here's what, th- there are two things. There are two things that I'm thinking here. One, all right, all right, three, counting. Th- here's my, my preliminary thing before the two things. The preliminary thing is we can't solve the troll problem. Right, because the troll problem needs to be a Sauron innovation later on. Like th- there will be the new species of trolls, which seem to be able to not turn into stone when they go out into the sun. But that's supposed to be a much later addition, right? It's something that Sauron develops, which Morgoth doesn't develop. Uh, so I think that we need to not we need to not solve that problem. Uh, we need to keep the uh, keep the trolls turning into stone or else why are there any stone trolls left, you know, by the time we get to the third, you know, by the time we get to, uh, you know, Bill and, uh, and, 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 you know, the rest of them, of the trolls. Um, so in the Hobbit, so we can't just ignore it. You know, we can't just be like, after some time, the troops of Morgoth just like grin and bear it and go out in the sunshine. Um, we have to we have to think some way through that. Um, but anyway, having said that, 
I, uh, the, 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 Marie, I agree. One clear solution is to block the sun. Um, and I think that we can do that. We can do that in a limited way. Here's the problem. And maybe we raise this, but maybe the battle raises this problem for Morgoth, right? Um, the big problem is that like, it's hard to do a sneak attack, right? It's hard to take your enemies by surprise when your armies have to be preceded by this giant pall of cloud which blots out the sky, right? It's like a bit of a giveaway. No, I mean, like, you can make it broad enough that, like, they can't tell exactly where you're going, but still, like, oh, looks like it's time for an attack. Here come the clouds again, right? I mean, uh, now, again, like, that can be something which they reflect on after this. We're like, okay... The cloud cover worked great, but we gotta we gotta do better, folks, because uh, you know sneak attacks would be kind of nice. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so that's uh, that's that's fine. Um, By the way, where have we got Sauron at this point? Can he create a Dawnless Day? Could this be his first? His first go at creating a Dauntless Day, or did we send him away? Dauntless Day 1.0. No, we, yeah, he's yeah, still yeah. around. Yeah. He's still around. Um, and of course, we have we have Don't an obvious kind of machine, right, in the volcanoes, right. I mean, we have these right. these you know the volcanic uh, uh, mountains there, Thangarodrim, which are perfectly capable of spewing forth lots of you know clouds and ash to to be able to do this. Um, you know, if Morgoth was really smart, what he would have done is to do this on a, on you know periodically. Like yeah. make it, you know, big clouds come <laughs> periodically, so they'd never know which one was <laughs> actually right. the one. Blot out the sun. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. The you know, if it, Lord of the Rings uh, would suggest that um, that they never did quite get this right, at least right. the sneak attack part, right? Exactly. Well, yeah, so, right. but but right. the whole thing is. The dynamics are different in the Third Age, right? Sauron is clearly going for, like, the shock and awe effect, right? Yeah. He does the Dawnless Day. Like, so, you know, with Sauron, the message Sauron is sending is, like, you know, doom is descending upon you and there's nothing you can do about it, right? Um, Right. Because he knows that, like, his army's radically out. Like, the, the, the enemy, his enemy, right, the good guys are vastly outmanned. Right. In his whole thing. So... Surprise is not his concern, right? If he can have them all terrified, right, and wetting themselves, uh, then, like, that's way better than surprise, as far as he's concerned, right, under those circumstances. Or doing a surprise. Rusty armor. Yeah. Exactly. Right, go and change your armor. But uh, the... the, (laughs) Exactly. Uh, but yeah, with Morgoth and the Noldor, it's a different situation, right? Yeah. I mean, especially again after it's you know, and of course, this is going to be the the battle in which you know they're going to the bad guys are going to be like, all right, back to the drawing board. We gotta we gotta do something different, right? right. Um, this is just this is just not working. So again, they're in a much more certainly a much more even um, military situation. Uh, in fact, at this point, you could even say the Noldor have the advantage against just orcs, right, in the field. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I, I think that it's it's definitely a very different situation uh, from um, uh, from the Third Age Dawnless Day stuff. But I agree with it was uh, um, Marie, yes, who was saying Morgoth comes back into town for this, right? So it's probably him who does the. The whole, you know, the, yeah. the, the cloud. and the, I mean, yep. certainly hard to resist a dramatic scene of Morgoth standing there and, like, raising his hand and the volcano erupts and, and you know, and that, that, 
you know, the ash spews forth and the cloud rolls over the field. And, um, you know, I'm imagining this, like this cloud of ash, not just hovering over, right. But kind of like rolling over the field and then you can't see. And then the orcs emerge from the cloud and attack you. you know? Maria makes a good point, which is the cloud covers less obvious at night. So he could actually do it at night. At night. Right. 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 And yes. uh, then holy crow, when they woke up, it's like, oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So no, I think I think that's I, you know that should definitely happen. But here's the other angle that I wanted to offer on this. Remember, we've been talking about the challenge of conveying visually Morgoth dispersing his power among his followers, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I'm thinking that the whole sunlight thing gives us an opportunity for that at some point. Maybe oh, not now. Maybe afterwards, point. right? But we know that the orcs are going to be, they're not going to be marching under clouds the whole time, right? I mean, you know, when, 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 you know, you think about like in the Turin Turinbar story, right? When, you know, uh, when Turin and, and the elves and Neonor like are running into random packs of orcs that are roaming around, they're not going around with little black clouds hovering over them, you know, uh, all the time, you know, uh, that's, um, that's not how it works. So we know before the end of the first age, the orcs are definitely going to be roaming around in the sunlight, right? They may still avoid bright sunshine, right? They may still camp like the Misty Mountain orcs still want to in, uh, in you know, when they're crossing Rohan, right? And the orc are driving them on. Um, they just want to hunker down during the sunshine and not run uh, during that time. Um, so we can show them being less active in the middle of the blazing daytime, but um, but still they don't. They're not going to need preternatural cloud cover in order to go right. outside throughout the first stage. So I'm thinking we have an opportunity, and I'm thinking maybe after the Dagor Aglareb, right? Whether we do that in this season or we wait till season five, I'm not sure, but. Um, but we have the opportunity here for uh, for Morgoth to make it a, a, for it to be a thing, right? For him to sit down and say, "Okay, the orcs need to be. St- I'm going to strengthen the orcs." Uh, and uh, and you know, Gothmog Sauron could ask, "Like, how are you going to do that?" Right? You know, they they have a, they have an issue with uh, uh, with with sunshine, and he says, "You know." Um, like this, right? And he, and you know, and he, 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 and, and Sauron can even comment on it, maybe, you know, something like, yeah, you know, isn't, uh, you know, with all respect, sir, isn't that going to weaken you? Aren't you like, you know, kind of? I don't know. I, we, we don't want it to be too awkward, but don't worry, our script people can handle making that not awkward. But, um, uh, what I'm, uh, what I'm saying is that I think that we could make there be a discrete jump in the resistance of orcs. Uh, to sunlight, and it gives us an opportunity to show a you know uh, a specific occasion of Morgoth putting forth his power right. in that particular right. way that we were having a hard time um, uh, for. Um, What's a good uh, idea for 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 that? So, um, anyway, yeah, um, good. I like this idea of. Um... Of of having Sauron comment on it too, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it gives us the opportunity to again, like you know, obviously we want to avoid hokiness, but it gives us the opportunity to do like a little bit of exposition on like that how that distribution of power thing works because mm-hmm. it's going to be uh, we don't want to make it like 
campy and it like make it look like somebody was oh yeah uh, rachel was saying the the original orc power up right we don't want it to look too video game like right with them getting a power up you know um uh why the power of grayskull (laughs) right right exactly Um, yes exactly tony and we could have morgoth physically change at that point again like he he would from that point he would look a little different than he did before right um so anyway like i said i don't know what um the timing for that um whether we want that to be in the i mean i assume after the disaster of the dagor aglareb um the bad guys are gonna like regroup and debrief right uh afterwards maybe it you know does it happen right away then um is glaurung like phase one of the post Dagor Aglareb upgrade program. And then the upgrade of the orcs is phase two of that. And then he, you know, and, and that's what then initiates, you know, so we've got the, you know, in the Dagor Bragalock, right. We've got unleash flames and Balrogs, right. Unleash full grown Glaurung and release upgraded orcs. Right. And that's the sort of triple whammy that sweeps across Northern Beleriand. Um, so anyway, that's, I think that we could, I think my impulse is to, uh, is to save it for season five as part of the buildup to the Dagor Bragalock, the anticipation of that. But just, this is, that's the main thing I was thinking of that, like, I, I'm totally fine doing, you know, the, as, as Tony said, the beta version of, of the Dawnless Day, uh, here at the Dagor Aglareb, but, um, but I definitely think that, you know, we need to be thinking in these terms down the road. Um, well, and I think um, the the Dawnless Day would be consistent with with what the text says as well about sort right. of the the attack being being you know sort of um, uh, telegraphed by earthquakes and volcanoes mm-hmm. spewing and stuff. And it's like they you know like this is one of those cases where the compression in the text sort of like they indicated as without warning, these things happened and suddenly the armies poured forth. But if you think about how that would really work physically in a, in a, in an actual physical world with geography, um, those sorts of things happening would definitely make it pretty clear to elves who are miles and miles away that something's happening and there's an attack coming. Right. So, so I think, I think at least in this case, the, the dawnless day, sort of giving away the, giving away the surprise as it were actually makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's the whole reason that it fails, but it's a part of the picture, you know, and again, they will, they will, they will see that. Because again, one of the things that, and one of the senses that you get from the text, right, is that in the Dagor Aglareb, Morgoth is still, like, he doesn't really, nobody really knows the full military strength of the Noldor and the Sindar, right? I mean, like, how much are they going to be able to take? So he keeps probing, Right. Um, And this is sort of the last stage of the probing before he having done his, you know, field research, he prepares, you know, the overwhelming attack of the Dagor Bragalach. So, um, you know, it would be part of the thing, right, you know, that he would be doing clearly, right, is, you know, taking notes and being like, okay, uh, so... You know, the whole, like, Dawnless Day thing was cool and everything, and it kind of worked, you know, it worked in some ways, but, you know, maybe we need to go a different direction in order to make sure that, uh, you know, we could, we can overwhelm and surprise them better. Um, and, uh, I, Marie, I think somebody was, or, or was a little bit earlier on saying that, of course, um, 
if the attack is initiated at night, you know, if the if the the you know the the clouds covering the skies come across it, and it's not going to be quite so obvious, which is true. But again, remember elves. It's not like they're not out at night, right? And they'll notice the stars being. Uh, yeah, being I was consumed. thinking about that. That they'd be out admiring the stars, and suddenly there'd be this thing covering them up. Right. Oh, and yeah. I mean, that's they, really they kind notice. of a cool. I mean, so imagine this, right? It's, I don't know if we've made it. We haven't. Have we made? Did we talk about the Valakirka in season one? Did we talk about the stars? Right. The 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 sickle of the Valar set in the north. Right. I, did we? Oh, good. I'm glad. I, I was hoping we talked about that, Marie. Um, uh, so, if um, if we were to show the sickle of the Valar being consumed, right, by the darkness, right, the clouds spreading from the north and covering first, you know, the Big Dipper, the sickle of the Valar, and then, you know, the stars vanishing. That's kind of it. Thinking back to the whole Melkor Varda thing in season one, that's kind of fun, actually, right? That's kind of neat symbolism. Yeah. Um, so if, uh, especially if somebody who kind of gets that can be seeing it, Right. Maybe Fingolfin, right, um, is looking out and he sees this happen and, you know, and he sort of realizes the significance. And anyway, yeah, so they're going to be they're going to be and, you know, Mithros is certainly going to be on guard and not going to be surprised by the attacks. Um, but um, but yeah, so I'm so I think, yeah, let's do the Dauntless Day thing. I, I really like the visual, um, the visual effect of having the dawnless day come in at night not only because i i like the, i like that visual effect of of the of the of of the darkness eating up the stars right and then um you know when day comes we have the cloud cover uh in place and the clouds of ash uh you know descending on everything uh from the volcanoes um so it also yeah. it it feels a little different from from what um, what we've seen before with the Lord of the Rings, which is yes, kind of nice, exactly. Especially with the rings, oh, more, it won't be the same. Yeah, yeah, and it's a little more. It feels a little more elvish by mm-hmm. doing it. Sort of. Yeah, at night with the with the stars vanishing. Yes, exactly. Yeah. It, it is a little yeah. bit more elvish that way. Um, yes. Okay. So um, so we've got the so the attacks. We're going to have four different. Um, uh, battles, right? Four different fronts in the battle. Um, they're going to come down the gap of Syrian and uh, attack Minas Tirith, which I still really am not sure we want to actually call it that. Do we? Would we be too worried about... I mean... It's hard because on the one hand, like it's a little bit awesome, obviously, to show this is like the inspiration for the future Minas Tirith, um, but I don't know. Uh, yeah, we okay. So uh, uh, Nick and Marie are both suggesting we just call it the Tower of Guard. We don't actually call it Minas Tirith because we don't want to. Yeah. Okay, I'm cool with that. Oh yeah, because otherwise it'd be totally confusing. Well, yeah. that's, I'm worried about confusion. Exactly. Tony says we already have a Denethor, right? So yeah, um, uh, yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, I, 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 I don't. We don't want the average viewer to think it's the same place. Uh, exactly uh, is the is the problem there. Of course, I mean, 
you know, the next minister is going to show up in what, 10 years, maybe 12 maybe. in Gondor. Yeah, be, maybe something like, season, like that. Season uh, 26. So it might not be, I don't know. No, I think Tower of the Guard is probably good. Yeah, I would just call it Tower of Guards. Anyway, so, so they're going to come down the Gap of Syria and attack the Tower of Guard. They're going to attack Maglor's Gap. They're going to attack Dorthonian. And they're going to come down around the coast uh, and attack, like, I would think maybe Nevrast, is, since we've already invested in Nevrast for the festival, right, earlier on this season, Showing that place, which was the place of celebration before under attack, would be a good thing. And of course, um, that would be a very um, uh, appropriate place to have the maximum cooperation between the Sindar and the Noldor, right? So I'm thinking Cirdan comes in from the sea, right, with ships from the sea and uh, and, and rescues uh, Nevrast from attack. Just brainstorming there about how that could work um, so that we have some very active cooperation there between the Sindar and the Noldor. Um, uh, yeah. Um, okay. Uh, so... So here's my question. Are we 100% sure that we want to do it this way? Well, you mean with the at night with the cloud cover or you mean No, the I mean the attack. massive attack on four fronts. Ah. Um what's your what's, what's your alternative? what's your hesitation? The alternative would be to make it a little bit smaller scale which would make it a little bit more manageable to do in one episode. <laughs> That's uh, true. Also, here's the other thing. I want, for a couple reasons, I want there to be a clear contrast between the Dagor Aglareb and the Dagor Bragolak, right? Um, and obviously the presence of Glaurung is a major difference. Um, but I... And the upgraded orcs are a big, are a difference too. Um, but, um, but, but, but I see what you're saying. Like in terms of storytelling on the screen, those things, those things don't, won't make it obvious to the, to the average viewer that mm -hmm. things are different this time. Mm -hmm. Whereas, yeah. Yeah. whereas, whereas scaling things up, you know, um, increasing like the scope of the battle Yes. Uh, would you know, like, like the fact that, like, it, like, if this one, if this one seems, this one seems dangerous, but it's like, you know, kind of a little bit smaller scale, and it's just focused on these lo locations, and the elves throw it back. It's like, oh, okay. But like, you know, if if at the start of the Bragalock, we we have this visual where we show all these simultaneous attacks happening, and the armies yes. are more massive, and there's yes. dragons and all that, then then that like. That immediately, immediately, like this sense of dread sets in to the viewer. They're like, "Oh crap!" Exactly. See, because because so there are a couple of things that I'm thinking here. Also, one is the elves are going to get a, a little overconfident after this battle, right? The elves are going to be like, "See, look, we can handle this." But I think what would be really cool, especially thinking about the thinking about the themes of the season, right, 
it would be really cool if it's not just a hey, like one on one, the orcs can, to- or you know, the elves totally kick the orcs' butts, right? We're fine here, right? It's not just that, right? What if <clears throat> the defeat of Sauron's or Scari of Morgoth's forces in the Dagor Aglareb is not only a result of the like, you know, military supremacy on the field of the elvish armies, but also they coordinate to crush it, right? So we show the elves effectively working together, which is why Fingolfin and Finrod, for instance, afterwards are all about, like, yeah, see? Like, if we join together, we can prevent, like, we can hold Morgoth in leaguer indefinitely, right? All we have to do is put our differences aside and join together and cooperate, and this is, yeah, and we can do this, right, together. If that's the message that they take from the Dagor Aglarum. So this is why what I'm thinking of, instead of having them attacked on, like, many, many different fronts, like will happen in the Dagor, Ag- in the Dagor Bragalak, we have a more concentrated attack, which then the armies of the elves can coordinate and meet, right? And so the, the, the enemy is completely routed, not like immediately right away. There can be drama here, right? You know, we can make it interesting and exciting, but we have a resounding victory that is the result of excellent cooperation among the different elvish armies, right? But, and, and so, Dave, to the, just to the point that you were making just a, a minute ago, the Dagor Bragalak will be different because the elves will be prevented from coordinating because they're being attacked on all fronts. Each one of them is trying by themselves to protect their own homes. You know, so, you know, Angrod and, 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 and Ignor are being completely swept away on Dorthonian and no help is coming. They're hoping for help to come, right? They're hoping Fingolfin is going to come and help them. They're hoping that Maglor, or, you know, that, that Magwar and, and, uh, and, and Mithros are going to be able to come help them, and nobody comes, because they're all under attack on their home fronts as well, right? Um, and the orcs are yeah, bursting like through the gap of Syrian, and nobody can do anything about it. So, uh, so anyway, so this is why I'm thinking um, uh, that um, that's why I'm thinking that we um, um, I want to scale it down a little bit. Um, now, I agree, Brian. We don't want to scale it down too much. We don't want it to just look like a skirmish. Absolutely not. Um, Brian Dimmick was saying, uh, you know, we want the Dagor Aglareb to seem big enough to be a potential knockout punch uh, from from Morgoth. It's not just a, a warm-up uh, to the Dagor Bragalock. I agree. I agree. Um, uh, this, is more, this is more just like being mindful of of not making it so big that when it comes time to do the Bragalock, we're like, oh, crap. Exactly. <laughs> like we We've like, done oh, the same we can't make again. it yeah. any bigger. Right, exactly, exactly. I think it should, it should feel not only... Not only are the enemies themselves stronger because there's the dragon and the orcs are stronger and everything, but like the entire scale of the battle should feel much bigger. And again, they should be prevented... Um, uh, they should they should be prevented from uh, uh, from the elves should be prevented from coordinating right. in the Dagor Bragalock. I, I also think I also think if you're thinking about sort of planning ahead, storytelling that kind of stuff, um, we can also do as you were saying, like how how do we do this so that we can fit it into one episode and it makes sense? Um, and with what we can do is just plan ahead for Bragalock we can deal with sort of the difficulty of, of having multiple locations and stuff by just saying 
that one's going to be multi episode. That's going to that's going to be a right. multiple episode thing. Right. Like we're because there's so many interesting things happening. There's so much interesting fallout we want to cover. We're just going to go ahead and give ourselves the time and space to do that. But mm-hmm. we don't want to do that yet. Like we want to save it. We want to save it. Right. Okay. So. Good. Yeah, I agree with that. We'll see what happens there. Now, Nick is concerned that we seem to be reducing a lot of episodes this season to a single plot line. Yeah, and I, I don't necessarily think we, we have to do that here, Nick. And so when I talk about simplifying things, I don't mean... So I agree with Brian, this shouldn't just be... Like, we shouldn't just make it look like a skirmish, right? Um, uh, it needs to be a major thing. Um, and I know, Marie, I know that there is a... Uh, you know, sort of a pincher movement thing going on here. And Rhiannon was reminding us that um, we are also kind of combining in, we're folding in another, remember that little foray that the orcs make down along the coast, right? Which gets foiled. We're kind of folding that in here. Um, uh, even though that was actually quite separate from the Dagor Aglareb uh, and, uh, you know, didn't get a name um, among the, the great, right? It wasn't counted among the, the great battles. Um Exactly. Marie says it's 100 years later. So we're kind of folding that in here, too. So um, so here's my thought, because we, we've got a, we've got another challenge here, too. Right. And that is Evelos and the spell of bottomless dread. So we've got Evelos, who is been placed under the spell of bottomless dread. We had her have the whammy put on her in an earlier episode. And um, and we wanted to make her an unwilling puppet who aids Angband's forces in some way under the influence of the spell of Bottomless Dread. We wanted her to be an unwilling traitor uh, to the Elvish cause. Um, so, thinking of these several factors. So we have one, I'd kind of like to concentrate the attack a little bit so that we're not fighting on all fronts, because I want to save that for the Dagor Bragalak. Um that's one thing. The other thing, I agree with Brian, we do want to show that th- there needs to be some kind of tactical or like strategic cunning involved here. This can't just be a stupid attack by the enemy. Um, this does need to be something which, like, if it worked, it would have been devastating. And we should show it come close to working, right? Um, so that's another thing. A third thing, we want to get in the attack down the coast, right? Something like that sneak attack that uh, is a sort of sneak attack um, uh, down the coast uh, that is being made. Um, I think we can combine all of these things, right? So here's here's my suggestion. Yeah, I, I don't think because I I don't think anyone's advocating for like really reducing this or making it trivially yeah. small, right? Because it because it, it needs to be big because it needs to be big enough that it looks scary. Yes. So that when when the next one happens, it's terrifying. It's completely it's terrifying. Bigger. Yes, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Um, the well, Dagor Bragalak should really be until we get to the War of Wrath, I think the single biggest battle. Like the Near Nith Arnoidiad is a big deal, but the Near Nith Arnoidiad is a bigger deal, not because it's like a more devastating battle, but because it's like more tragic. Like there's like the casualty yeah. level is way, way higher. Um, people are driven back and scattered and everything in the Dagor Bragalak, but like, you know, number of like, you know, people being slaughtered is a bigger deal uh, in the, in right. the near North or, or Nordia. But the Dagor Bragalak I'm thinking is really like the largest scale offensive we ever show Morgoth uh, putting forth essentially. Yeah. Um, right. So, we, so if if this 
if uh, if this one's too big, then when we start doing the Bragalock, people people will look it'll look exactly the same. Yes, and, it, and it'll be unclear why why did why did it work this time? Right, why it worked exactly? That was exactly what I'm what I'm uh, concerned about there. Okay, so so here's my thought about how the strategy could work. What if the primary attack, um, basically we 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 reduce. Uh, Sounds and Marie here. I'm thinking of still doing something. Li- I'm kind of combining the sort of pincher movement that Morgoth does in the uh, in the text at the Dagor Aglaer, like around both sides of Dorthonian. Um, so uh, keeping the pincher movement concept, but also integrating the attack by the orcs down the coast. Right? What if we combined all of these things? Right? Um, and we have the primary uh, push of Morgoth's orc forces down through the gap of Syrian, right? And so Minas Tirith, uh, which we don't call that, the Tower of Guard, uh, right, takes the primary brunt of the assault uh, from Morgoth, right? Um, And his goal is to... What's his goal? His, you know, ideally, that sort of crushes them, right? But he knows it's going to attract. He's going to try to draw people down from Hithlam, o- over from Nevrast, right, to try to fight off his main army. Meanwhile, he's going to sneak the other group around from behind, come along the coast, right, sack Nevrast, and then come and take their armies from behind with that second force, right? So that he then, like, you know, uh, t- takes. The, all of the support of the elves, maybe he's going to bank on the fact that nobody's going to come from Doriath, right? So he's like, okay, the Sons of Fanor are too far away. Nobody's going to help from Doriath, right? So we're fine on the, the eastern flank of this army, right? Um, it's the western and northern flanks that we've got to worry about because army's going to come down from Hithlum, army's going to come over from Nevrest, right? Uh, so we'll bring this other army around behind all of them, Right, and they'll sneak up, and they'll and they'll succeed in attacking, and uh, and so that's what gets thwarted then um, by um, uh, that that that's what gets thwarted by uh, uh, by Kyrdin, right? Uh, and uh, the elves of Nevrast also can uh, can be involved there, um, and so the the uh, the second force gets destroyed, and then maybe the other thing that happened, maybe the sons of Feanor get there, right? Um, Morgoth doesn't expect them to get there, but they do, right? So we can have Mithros showing up. And in fact, ooh, hey, hey, how about this, right? We ha- the, uh, remember, we can set up the Nirnaith Arnoidiad this way, right? Where we have the forces of, like, Fingon and Fingolfin here in the east, and they're, like, hoping against hope that, My- that Mithros will appear, and he does, right? Mithros... Mithros and his forces do appear from the east, and they do take the enemy between them and crush them. And so that's basically the success that they're trying to replicate in the Near Nyth Arnoidia down the road, right? Except the nice. second time when he's when we show Fingon watching and hoping for the you know for the banners of Mithros to appear, they don't appear, right? The second yeah, time, nice. and the tragedy occurs. Um, so what do we think about that? We would need to have a we'd need to have a, a reason like a, a not a mechanism exactly, but we would need to show um so here you go, Nick. Here's a here's a B plot for this episode. The B plot is the vigilance of Mithros, right? 
Um, Mithros has to A, note that an attack is taking place, B, uh, figure out exactly what's happening and what he needs to do, and C, get his army across, right, uh, marching them uh, north of Doriath, right, um, and get them through, you know, bring them through that area and uh, uh, and bring them to the battle in time, right? They've got to they've got to march double quick uh, across. Um, yes. Yeah, so Marie says she's fine with the Feanorians being vigilant enough and willing to travel enough to get there in time to help. So yeah. So they 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 achieve this wonderful accomplishment, which in everyone is amazed. Like even Morgoth is taken by surprise. Nobody thinks they can cross that that terrain in time, right? Um, and uh, and they do. Right, so we can we can have a B plot of like you know Mithros, um, you know getting the Feanorians there. Right, we will also have another plot of the the battle that's happening on the other side. So now, what do you guys think about that as a, a general kind of uh, tactical situation? Exactly, Marie, hope unlooked for. Right, that's what they you know they 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 think they're going to have to do it, and it's going to be close. Right, maybe they can fight off this orc horde themselves. Um, uh, and then they get news that there's one coming up behind them, and they're like, "Oh man, we're in huge trouble." But then they get foiled, right? The by the unexpected arrival of Kirden and the and the Sindar from the Havens, uh, and then and then the Feanorians show up as like the final U catastrophe at the Dagor Aglareb, and and at that point the orcs are just crushed. Right now they're they're taken between the armies of uh, of of you know of Turgon and uh, Fingolfin and Finrod. Right, so then Finrod sallies forth from the gates, you know, like Thorin Oakenshield, right? And you've got, uh, you know, uh, uh, Fingolfin and Fingon and Turgon on one side, and then Mithros and Maglor and the other, and Keligorm come on the other side and just crush, right? Then we just, uh, the orcs get absolutely destroyed there at the end. Um, but it can look kind of tense for um, Finrod in, uh, in the Tower of Guard there for a while. Um, especially when Fingolfin isn't sure if he's going to have to turn and face the other orc army that's coming up from behind and leave Fing, you know, like, and so he's going to look like he's facing a decision maybe, right? Like, do I leave Finrod on his own or do I, um, you know, is it going to look like we're betraying our kin again, right? And, 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 you know, refusing to help him or, or failing to help him, right? Um, uh, and then instead, you know, instead of the potential conflict there, um, we um um we get um uh we get like the the a big community effort right from Kirden and the Sindar the Noldor are all, all working together the Feanorians coming in everybody's happy and everything works uh Marie says what makes the battle of Pelennor Fields good writing is that the tide of battle turns multiple times in surprising ways so if we could set up something like that it would be very impressive storytelling yeah no I think we've got some real potential uh for this to and and by concentrating the action in this one place instead of scattering it elsewhere uh then we accomplish I think a couple things uh we accomplish what Dave and I were talking about about keeping it from looking like the Dagor uh, Bragolach, um, so that will look fundamentally different when we get there. Two, we get to establish uh, a, a, a really different kind of narrative with this story, and a narrative which is very closely in, fit, in keeping with the themes of the season, right, of reconciliation and, uh, and, uh, and forgiveness and coming together, right? Um, mm-hmm. And we set up both of those future disastrous battles really, really well. 
right? We set up the yeah. Dagor Bragalock because now when, you know, we can have parallels, right? We can show, like, there will be a bunch of people who will be under siege like Finrod was under siege, you know, in this battle, right? But instead of the reinforcements showing, instead of the Feanorian cavalry, you know, coming over the rise and sweeping down on the enemy, nobody comes, right? Because everybody is tied down where they are, right? Um, and, uh, and, and, and then of course, as I said, we, we set up even more clearly the, the, uh, um, uh, the near knife Arnoidiad. Um, mm -hmm. so, so I think that has a lot of potential. Now I was kind of, I was being a little bit hand-waving about the, uh, the other side, the other force, the coastal force, the sneak attack by Morgoth, um, and, uh, and of course, that's the other way that you do a sneak attack under the cloud cover, right? You put out this very large and impressive force, which is the primary attack, right, of the Dagor Aglareb, um, and they think that's your attack, right? So they, you know, but the cloud cover is general over the whole region, so you can bring the other army in around using the same cloud cover, and, you know, they don't, they don't see that coming. Um, okay, so... What is the objective of the other army? If the objective of the other army is to come around behind, it's got to go all the way around, right? It's got to come in past Nevrast, right? Um, a little awkward geographically, but maybe we can do that. They would just bypass Hithlam. Now, again, in this, I still, I'm trying to come back to Ethelos here. We need to think of a role that she's meant to play a way in which she can, though, un, you know, uh, without her full consent, right, betray the other Noldor. What key role would a single person play in helping to make that? It's not, there's not a, like, opening the gate to the enemy kind of situation, exactly, which was my first thought, but with this kind of movement of armies, we're not talking about, a, you know, a, a fortress being betrayed from within, uh, yeah, Nick is saying if her mind is is truly broken, it should be something very simple. Well, but see, Nick, I don't think her mind being broken doesn't mean that she's like just non-compass mentis at this point, right? This it would mean her will is broken. Like her, you know, she is, her will is enslaved to Morgoth. So she would be functional, totally functional. I don't think she looks like she's been driven mad by this. Um, it's only her will that is broken. Um, yeah. Okay. So would see. she kind of appear normal? I mean, in terms yes, of like... I think she would. I think she would appear normal. Um, so no one would know. Yes. Really. I mean, there would be people who might suspect. Suspect. Like, there's something that ain't right with her. Something you off. Know. Yeah. Uh, but. Um, yeah. Um, But yeah, I'm, uh, um, 
we can have her. I'm okay. Um, so Nick and Marie are talking about like, you know, before we, we were, you know, they were thinking of having her like in a, an almost catatonic state when they pick her up, like when she's found wandering. Um, I'm okay with that, but I think she should look to be getting better. Like, again, I don't think the spell of bottomless, I mean, the clearest instance of the spell of bottomless dread that we have is Myglin, right? Myglin is totally functional. Right now, his own will is engaged in a different way, but he is still placed under the spell of bottomless dread. Um, he is not weak-willed. Um, so, um, I also don't want to make it too much like Tur uh, Turbar's sister. Her name is yes, Neonor. Yes, Neonor, yes, exactly. Because um, she's going to be kind of catatonic when they find her. Yes, right? I mean, she's yes. Definitely I mean, that's just, yeah, that is a different thing. What Glaurung does to her is a different thing right. uh, uh, from this. Um, so, yeah. Right, so we don't want it to be too similar to that. Though. Yeah, that's what I'm no, thinking. No, we don't want it to be too similar to that. Um, but like I said, the spell of Bottomless Dread, it's not just a, I'm going to break your mind. Like, I'm going to drive you insane. It's, I'm going to enslave your will. You will become my creature. You will become my puppet. Um, you will, you will like, when you lie in bed at night, you will hear me whispering in your ear, you know, when you, like, you, like wherever they go, you know, the, the, the will of Morgoth is with them, right? Whispering to them, and, and they can't resist, right? They're like, when they're under the spell... They're they are not their they are not their own masters, right? They have been dominated by Morgoth. That's the state that Evelos is in. I think pointing to the fact that something happened, you know, so that like have her look. I mean, for to to have her be catatonic and wandering is fine, but I think she needs to get better, right? Um, I mean, this has doubtless been a really bad experience <laughs> in lots of different ways, right? So we, and, and they can, and so, the, and there's every, you know, there's no reason for those who pick her up to be, um, um, uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's no reason, uh, for the people who pick, um, who pick her up to think that, I mean, they're not going to be suspicious, right? They're going to be like, wait, she's had a horrible traumatic experience. Right. And, and, but then they nurse her back to health and, uh, and she's, um, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yep. Yep. Um, yeah, I think that this is what, I, I think that's how we can do that. So, so what can she do? So hang on. So Rhiannon uh, had given us a couple uh, suggestions that she made on the discussion boards, which I was kind of looking through a little bit. Um, it's really hard because on the open field, there aren't opportunities for her to, um, for her to, uh, again, like sabotage defensive structures or let people into strongholds there isn't really, it's kind of hard to see how she would be in a position even, you know, I mean, she can be a very important person, but she's not going to like convince Fingolfin to not come to battle. Right. Uh, I mean, uh, they're advancing besides which the strategy that I was laying out, Morgoth wants them to come. Like Morgoth wants Turgon and Fingolfin 
to come into the field against his forces in the south so that the other force can then come up behind and destroy them, right? He wants to lure them out into the field and then crush them between his two forces. Um, so he wouldn't want them to stay back. With this particular strategy that I'm describing, he would not want them to stay in Hithlam, right? So that can't really be it either. Um, Rhiannon, of your suggestions, my favorite thing and the thing which seems to me most workable would be, under the circumstances that I've been describing, is to uh, either pass along a false report or prevent messengers coming. Um, uh, uh, yeah. Prevent... Um, prevent the messengers from coming maybe by intercepting them and then saying, well, give me the message. I'll pass it along. Something um, like that. Something like that. Yeah. Or even, I mean, we, I mean, we could even have it, be, uh, be, I mean, she could even kill the messenger. Like, you know, that could happen. I was thinking that too. Just to sort of show, it would convey much more clearly the like, Morgoth is driving the bus right here, you know, um, for her to be acting in a way which is not just counter to the best interests of her allies and relatives, uh, but to be acting in a, like, pronouncedly, clearly non-Elvish way. Um, And, of course, as Tony points out, um, especially in the light of the kinslaying, her killing the messenger is kind of a, uh, you know, would work. True. So yeah, if the good guys are going to win by coordinating efforts, disrupting <laughs> messages would be harmful. Exactly. Um, As I was going to say, you said in a non-elvish way. I'm like, yeah, except for the sons of fan well, art. When I say non-elvish, <laughs> you know, I, I, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I don't mean unprecedented, right? Um, yeah. Oh, interesting. Rhiannon says she could prevent a message requesting help from being sent to the Feanorians so that Mithros's arrival would be more surprising and due entirely to his own vigilance. You know, like they, so yeah. he, he didn't receive the message, but he comes anyway. Oh, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that would set up, that would set up the audience to believe that he'll never, that he won't arrive. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. And that, that would be a nice, um, like that'd be a nice, like, It'd be a very nice kind of reversal if um, we set the audience up to expect that help won't arrive this time, and it does. And then so going in, and then we expect um, it to arrive, and then it doesn't. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Now Maria is reminding us that she is Angrod's wife, and Angrod Angrod has the grudge with Karinthir. Um so it would be. There's some opportunities there with the Feanorians. You know, it would certainly be easy for her to convince her husband that the Feanorians are not going to come, right? Because he would be inclined to suspect that, you know, those uh, loser Feanorians aren't going to come. And Marie says it might sort of seem in character-ish, maybe. But again, I think it should be discovered. Um, Because that can be the moment of, like, near despair, right? When Fingolfin realizes you know, holy cow, the messenger that we sent to, uh, to Mithros, uh, you know, has been murdered and he doesn't even know. And this, you know, here we were hoping he was going to come and now, you know, like there's now no hope uh, that he's going to come. So they find the messenger dead in a ditch. Exactly. Uh, and then, you know, the truth comes out. Um, 
Yeah, I was kind of thinking of having her involved on the other side, like having her involved in somehow, like that she would be deployed by Morgoth um, as a um, um, as a uh, as part of the strategy with the flanking army coming around. But I like the Feanorians, but especially with Angrod, her uh, and everything. Yeah, yeah. Marie says it's the Red Arrow messenger all over again. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rohan cannot come. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Um, yes, exactly. Rohan cannot come. We, we will have a Rohan cannot come now. Um, there is no hope moment there in the Dagor Aglareb. Um, uh, okay. So, yeah, I like that. I like that. I think that that all works, that all works well. Um, and, uh, the capture of Rog, uh, and, and Isle. Yeah. So my thought here is that Rog gets captured in battle, right? He gets, he gets dragged off in battle, uh, and Anile maybe just vanishes, but people don't know. So there's like, did he like get captured in battle or something? People don't know, but I would love to see like Tavildo and or Thorin Gwethel just nab him right at some point. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, you know, I, I could, I could, I could sort of see it in, in either way. Um, oh yeah, no, Rachel, we did, I, I've forgotten it already though. We did decide on a new name for Rog. Uh, we, do we, uh, I forgot what we did. Somebody remind me the new name for Rog we decided on last time. Um, Rolgrin. Yeah. We decided on the, the sort of the standard, uh, Rolgrin cause I really like Rog and I still want him to be, I, I still, I'm going to call him Rog for short, no matter what we name him. Uh, so yeah, yeah. Better to have that, uh, have that happen. Um, the character formerly known as Rog. The, the character always in my mind still known as Rog. Oh, right, yeah, I exactly. think that's what uh, Marie called him last time. So yeah, always in Corey's mind is Rog. Exactly. That's it. That's it. Um, okay. Um, okay. So, so Nick, what does the battle look like? Let me see if I can lay it out again more clearly. The clouds sweep forth in the night. The armies of the orcs advance, and they charge right down the gap of Syria, and their goal being to divide the east from the west and to draw the armies of Hithlam and Nevrast to them while they're pinning Finrod down at Minas Tirith, right? So they come in comparatively overwhelming numbers that is overwhelming certainly to Minas Tirith, right? So Minas Tirith is heavily besieged and in significant danger, right? So Finrod is pinned down at uh, at uh, Minas Tirith by the big army that has come down. Seeing this happening, right, the armies of, like Fingolfin and Fingon and Turgon both get their armies together and they come down from the uh, from from the north and 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 from the west, right. So they come to it and they're prepared to attack the army from this side. This is when they're like, okay, uh, get. Um, Let's send a message over to Mithros as quick as possible. It's probably not going to get there in time. And by the time it gets there and then they get back, you know, there's a, we can, you know, just like, um, you know, uh, 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 of Gondor said, right. Maybe you can disturb the, the orcs, uh, you know, from their, uh, you know, from their looting of the, of, 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 of Minas Tirith, right. Yeah. Maybe the, maybe the, the but, but anyway, so the Feanorns will probably come too late, but let's send a desperate, uh, 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 you know, uh, message out there. Right. 
Meanwhile, the second army of orcs, which should be very large, but not as big as the, the main one, right? So it's a secondary force, but it's still a very significant force. As meanwhile, has stolen a march. Maybe they started earlier, right? Um, and they've been coming down along the coast. So they come down along the coast, and they're gonna uh, they're gonna sack Nevrast. I think they're gonna like set Nevrast on fire and then come in uh, and attack the armies of Turgon and Fingolfin from behind, right? So that they ca- that now the armies have caught the High King of the Elves and like the bulk of the non-Feanorian Noldor forces in this pincher movement of their own, right, um, on the field there and crush them. That's Morgoth's strategy, and the Feanorians are out of the picture because they're too far away. That's why he rushes down. If he stays up in Dorthonian, you know, Mithros can come right over, right? So he doesn't. He just comes straight down, all the way down to Minas Tirith so that they're further away. And he's also banking on the fact that Thingol's going to do nothing, right? The thing That Thingol is not going to leave Doriath, so there's no threat coming from that area. So he... Morgoth only has to focus on the western front of his battle, right? Um, as both Fingolfin and Fingon and Turgon come together over on that side, and that's when Morgoth is going to sweep around from behind. So yes, on the field near Minas Tirith is where is where all these battles are happening, like just just north of Minas Tirith there in the gap of in the gap of Syria. So, um, but then of course what happens is. The the army of orcs that's sneaking sneaking up from behind uh, is thwarted, and uh, the Fanorians do get there in time. And then so then we have the final battle with instead the the orc force being taken between uh, you know Fingolfin with Fingon and Turgon on the one side, and Finrod sallying forth out of Minas Tirith, and Mithros's cavalry sweeping down from the east, and the orcs are completely crushed and they win and everyone's good. And so uh, Evelos's role is preventing the messenger, killing the messenger who gets sent to, to, uh, to Mithros so that they think they're not coming. Um, the two, here are the two weak parts in my strategy here that I need help with. Number one, we haven't involved the folks from Dorthonian and obviously Angrod has to be involved if Evelos is going to be there at all, right? So I think we have to have um, Angrod and Ignor leaving Dorthonian and basically following in the, you know, pursuing the trail of the orcs, right? So the orcs march quickly straight down and attack Minas Tirith, and Angrod and Ignor would have to join with Fingolfin, right, who's coming out from Hithlum, and the two of them come down the gap behind the orcs, uh, trying to attack, and then Turgon comes out from Nevrast. Um, so Nick, yes, N- Turgon would not be in Nevrast when it was attacked, um, uh, because again, the goal would be to to take them all in the you know to he's trying to draw them all out into the field there around Minas Tirith and then destroy them with the second force that comes in, um, banking on the strength of the first force, the the separation from the from the Fanorians and then the unexpected attack from behind by the second force. That's the strand. And by the way, that second force could also have with it some of Sauron's troops. Right, we could have like werewolves and like Tavildo, you know, and his cats could be in the field. I mean, we could have. It's like this is the sneakier force, right? It's still orcs, still mostly orcs, um, but we can have like you know werewolves and stuff like that uh, coming through here, um, which would be kind of fun because if Kierden then comes and helps destroy this army, then we have Kierden like. Kirtan's revenge against the werewolves, right? Uh, no Balrogs, though. Absolutely right. No Balrogs in that second army. The Balrogs are all with the first army. All right. So, um, 
I. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 Nick, nobody needs to pursue Turgon anywhere. Turgon is coming to them, right? Uh, everything happens right there outside Minas Tirith. Because Tur- uh, why, why stay on the coast, right? The enemy is inland, right? So Turgon is going to leave Nevrast behind and come in to join forces with Fingon and Fingolfin and Angrod and Ignor, right, who have all come down. So they're going to try to form this army which will attack uh, the the orcs from one side while, you know, but again, they're hoping the, the Fanorians will come, but they probably won't. Right, um, so Turgon is not in Nevrost. He's there, so he's with Fingolfin. Right, they're they're like same army there. Um, oh, Marie wants no Balrogs on the field at all. Right, if if Balrogs are in the battle, someone needs to die. Yeah, well, let's come back to that. Hang on a second. Okay. Um, right. Okay. So here is the other weak point in my strategy. How are we going to defeat the Coastal Army? The Coastal Army can be exposed, um, but we need, to, we, need to, we need to defeat it outright. Círdan's coming is like the catastrophic moment, right? When Círdan and his ships sail up and the army of the... But the army of the Sindar can't take them on alone. So maybe what we need to have is... Turgon, um, so Turgon leaves Nevrast and marches east to join Fingolfin. Maybe what happens is he gets word, or even, this is Turgon, right? Does he have some premonition or something, right? He could have a, he could have a foreseeing that he must return to Nevrast or something, right? Um, so instead of continuing on to the east and just joining his army with Fingolfin, which is what Morgoth intends him to do and which he's setting out to do, right? Instead, he's like, no, something tells me I need to turn back towards Nevrost. And so Círdan comes in and Turgon comes back and the two of them collaborate on crushing the second smaller sneak orc army um, uh, in the field there. And then Turgon can continue... Uh, up to um, to join Fingolfin for the final battle. Uh, Tony is wondering if Olmo could intervene here. That seems possible. Um, yeah, Marie says maybe Turgon returns to Vinyamar because he dreams his, of his wife calling him back there or something. Yeah, something like that. That could totally work. Um, so exactly, Nick. The coastal army, the coastal orc army never gets to Minas Tirith, right? So, that, so the, the big stratagem, Morgoth's big stratagem fails. Right, it will be thwarted, um, but it still doesn't look great. I mean, it's still like no better than even odds on the field because that big army is big, right? And Finrod is pinned down inside, and and it doesn't look like. And so it's only when the Feanorians come sweeping in, or the Feanorian cavalry comes in, that now like the what looked like a tough slog turns into a rout uh, for the elves. Um, Tony's suggesting uh, maybe Ase helps Círdan. I kind of like the idea, Tony. Uh, Ase is a, actually a great suggestion. Ase kind of breaking the rules and taking a part in the battle would work, right? Um, but um, but anyway, the other um, uh, the the other thing that I like about it, Tony, is remember one of the message, you know, like one, one of the sort of morals of the story is that like, uh, that is of the coastal attack is that it like 
Morgoth trying to do things by sea never pans out, right? Uh, at no point does he ever have a navy or an air force, right, until the very end. Um, and uh, and so, like, the sea is just, like, he can't, he's, he's not going to mess with the sea, right? So if we, if we really kind of bring that message home, right, like, and this will be the last time that you will bring an army of orcs onto the coast, right? Uh, you will not, you, you, will, you will never get, you will think twice before you ever bring an army of orcs uh, anywhere within five miles of the ocean ever again. Um, that would actually be kind of cool, uh, I think. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, you know, Tony, we could have a dramatic, uh, uh, natural effect there as well. Um, one challenge there is if we have Kyrdin in his ships, we're not going to want Ossie to get too, too, uh, um, uh, too, um, frisky, right? Or else, uh, <laughs> the ships of, of the Teleri are not going to, uh, handle that super well. Um, but anyway, we can kind of try to sort that out. Maybe they can sort of shelter behind the, um, you know, the breakwater uh, in Vinyamar or something um, uh, when uh, when Ossie's counterattack comes or something. Anyway, I'm not 100% sold on the Ossie idea, but I kind of, uh, I kind of, I kind of like, uh, I kind of like it. I, I, I kind of like the idea of that, of that intervention in some way participating there. Um, so Nick, back to your, uh, question and I, I, it's fine. I totally appreciate your pressing on the details here. Um, the orc army is at the gates of Minas Tirith, uh, for some time. It's not like a long, they're not like encamped for a super long siege. It's, it's an assault. It's an assault, but I mean, it's an assault that lasts for, you know, days and weeks. So they're not just besieging the place. Um, they're attacking because it looks like they could take it. I mean, Minas Tirith needs to be in danger of falling, not of being starved out or something, in danger of being, uh, of being taken by the orc army, um, which is going to be continually introducing, um, a, uh, uh, an element of urgency, right? Um, like the, you know, Fingolfin's council can all be like, you know, we should, you know, can we wait for that? How long should we wait for the Feanorians? You know, is, um, will they come? Will they come? You know, let's wait. Um, but then like, they can't wait forever. Um, but, um, anyway, um, I hope that's enough to work with. Uh, if you think that this would work well, Ignor needs to break his sword in the battle. That's manageable. We can make that happen. Um, back to the Balrog's question. Um, ah, Marie points out that Thorin Gwethel and her spying saw Finrod's plans for Minas Tirith earlier on. So, you know, uh, uh, Thorin Gwethel uh, can do some skullduggery there at uh, Minas Tirith. Okay. Um, Balrogs, the Balrog question. Here's my problem. I get you, and I remember we made a pledge that any time a Balrog comes into battle, somebody, a named character, has to die, right? That was our Balrog rule. Uh, here's my problem. Why on earth would the Balrogs not come? Why would Morgoth be like, okay, I'm, I'm going to try to do, as Brian said, a knockout punch, right? I'm going to send this overwhelming force down the Vale of Syrian and crush Minas Tirith, but I'm going to the Balrogs, I'm, I'm just going to keep them home, like, knitting instead while this is happening. Like, why on earth would he do that? How, 
how could that possibly make sense? I can't, I can't make any sense of that. Um, which means we have a couple options. One is to kill somebody in this battle, right? That's the most obvious option. That's the most obvious option. Um, uh, Rhiannon is saying maybe the Balrogs were all required to help with the creation of Glaurung, except I don't think we're creating Glaurung yet. I think the creation of Glaurung comes as a response to the Dagorag Lareb. Maybe, uh, maybe Morgoth has them up at the volcano flapping their wings to get, make the cloud. <laughs> flapping oh, he's gonna, he's gonna just mute me. He's just gonna mute me from the thing. I just... <laughs> um, see, I don't think the Balrogs drive the orcs from behind. In general, um, I think we talked about that, didn't we? That they'd be like in the vanguard. I gotta think they mostly do. Um, yeah, I mean, Gothmog. Well, no, Gothmog isn't in the doghouse yet. We were gonna put him in the doghouse because the Dagor Aglareb was gonna be his plan and it was gonna not work. Um, besides which. I mean, even if Gothmog as a commander is in the doghouse, it doesn't mean you're like, oh, for that reason, we're going to keep out like our most effective right. like piece of infantry out of this battle. Seems to me like we got to kill somebody off. Because it's just, like you say, it's not logical. I, I can't. Not the only thing we can do, the o- I mean, the only thing I can think of that makes the, that, that holds water at all would be if, we, if they have some other job elsewhere. But what? Is he going to yeah, I don't send know what the- it would be. Unless we have a job for, like, the whole crew of Balrogs back east in Hildorian. Right? He's come back. Morgoth has come back, right? But again, why would you do both? Why would you time your initiative for the time when you sent off your heavy infantry? Like, it doesn't... Exactly. dumb. Um, Yeah, it's just... And no matter how I slice it, I cannot think of a strategy that makes sense... Like the first force, this the primary force that's attacking Minas Tirith, is the one that needs the muscle, right? This is supposed to be the sledgehammer of this attack. Uh, so obviously, the um, Marie says the fanning the volcano idea is looking better and better. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Well, uh, is there anybody we can spare? We could kill, we could kill, um, we could kill Angrod. Can't we spare Angrod? We could kill off both Evelos and Angrod. He says that so enthusiastically, doesn't he? Well, they're Pretty all going to die eventually. Come on. I mean, look at the big picture. In the Silmarillion, it's not a question of keeping people That's alive. True. It's that a would question be nice. Of, it's a question it of deploying their like deaths to the maximum effect. It does seem like we, Angrod's the right choice, actually. We are missing... Uh, excuse me. We are missing... You guys should be the ones yawning, not me. <laughs> uh, we we are missing... I think we are missing uh, like at least one tragic note. For, for an otherwise, you know, like a, a glorious victory. Yeah. And we don't want to kill off too given, many people. Given, 
given Edelos's, um situation, Angrod seems like a really good choice for that. Angrod is slated for death in the Dagor Bragalock anyway, right? So yeah. he's going to die by the end of season five at the latest. So we just move him up one. We yeah. just move him up. Like, Angrod and Ignor both die in the Dagor Bragalock, right? Why have both of them die in one battle in Dorthonian when we could get two battles worth of Noldor deaths for the price of one, <laughs> right? Especially since the death of Ignor, because Ignor is the one that we need for the Athrobeth, right? Angrod is, or Ignor uh, rather, is the one who's going to fall in love right. with Andreth, and we're going to have the tragic right. romance of se- one of the right. tragic romances of season five, right? So, um, well, the chief tragic romance of season five. So his death in the Dagor, that's going to be the hard-hitting emotional moment, right? When yeah, we can't have dies. else dying. Yeah, we so Angrod is just going to look that. like a plus one at that point that's when Angrod right. also dies, right? And he's right. already done all of the things that he has to do, right? He's had his spat with Karinthir. He's had his moment with Thingol, right? There's no other jobs apart from his death in the Dagor Bragalock. He's out of jobs, right, uh, here, and he's Plus, Ethelos is dying too, right? Who? What? Ethelos is, well, is dying Ethelos also. If Ethelos dies as well, right, we can have... Um, um, yeah. 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 No, I'm liking this idea more and more. Especially if I if, if Angrod and Ethelos both die in the battle. And I would be, you know... Rhiannon, if we want to do something to kind of redeem Edelos or something? Maybe? I don't know. Maybe we redeem her. Maybe she just dies tragically. Um, uh, Tony wants to know if Angrod is going to take a Balrog with him. Nah. I don't think so. How about Angrod uh, and his, uh, dies uh, while uh, um, having to put his own wife down? Or maybe she Ooh. kills him. Ooh. Ooh. Oh. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Oh. I mean, how we want to handle Evelos's end. Um, I mean, I think I would vote for something like, I don't know that we can redeem her because she's been, her will is dominated. Like Morgoth has the power to just own her and he does that's what the spell of bottomless dread does she can't break it but she could have like a like a period of lucidity where she confesses and you know um uh yeah um i mean does she you know how when sauron gets vanquished in the third age and all of his minions suddenly like don't know what you know, like like they yes. kind of lose his presence. Yes. I mean, I'm think I'm thinking if there's something that causes Morgoth to shift his attention or or you know what I mean, break so that she gets that moment of lucidity. I mean, I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if the bottomless well, red hard. And works it's true that way. That, it's true that Morgoth isn't at the battle personally, as someone was just pointing out, but um, right. but he doesn't have to be. Again, that's the point of the spell of bottomless dread is that it follows you around no matter where you are. Like that's like the textbook definition. It's like the literal book definition of the spell of bottomless dread is that once you are placed under the spell of bottomless dread, you can't shake it and it follows you for the rest of your life. Um, uh yeah. Howard, have we she, talked about how we're having Ethelos die? Because I would think she just would like commit suicide at some point. It's possible. <laughs> well, 
the, I mean, so the, the... I'm kind of thinking. I'm kind of thinking maybe in her moment of lucidity, she tells Angrod to, you know, if you're gonna have, you have to, you're gonna have to kill me, and he's like, no, no I don't want to do that. And then Morgoth takes back over, takes takes over again, and then she pulls out a knife and advances on him, and he eventually has to kill her. But then in his despair at having just killed his own wife, then he just runs into the thick of battle. I wouldn't want him to commit Very suicide though. Experience. He's gonna die. Well, the... By Balrog, he should die fighting the Balrog. The other suggestion was that Edelos. No, no, I, I'm not saying suicide, but I'm saying yeah. like sort of reckless despair. Yeah, like Amir, like right. Amir. Yeah, with right. his, he, yeah. he comes yeah. over all Fey and charges off. Oh, like, like the Balrog, exactly. like yeah. Fingolfin. Yeah, 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 yeah. This could be a. This could be, a, um, this could be sort of a pre, like a, a, a foreshadowing for for what happens with Fingolfin. Yeah. Uh maybe I kind. I'm not sure I want to go that far, um, but I'm not sure I like the opposite direction of like having Edelos in her moment of lucidity, like attack or defend Angrod from the Balrog and die heroically defending her husband from the Balrog. Um, I hate to say this, but well, that's a little cheesy to me. It is a Especially little bit. Especially if we're going to kill about, him anyway. What's the point what of saving Morgoth? his life? I mean, first of all, can she even have this lucidity? Like you said, the spell follows her around. I mean, I don't even know that that lucidity is even possible. And the other thing somebody just mentioned is, I mean, Morgoth, there could come a point to where her, her utility is at an end, and Morgoth just tells her to off herself. You know what I mean? So she just, like, under his uh, influence, she just walks, like somebody said, walks into a Balrog or something. <laughs> I kind of, <laughs> I, I, kind of um, I mean, sort of the the kind of, logistics of it aside i kind of crave like the brief moment of lucidity just mm-hmm. an opportunity to say goodbye to right. to to crank up the tragedy right uh, right but then i want her to have a tragic end too no no heroic death no like like you know i i don't know that i want redemption i'm not saying i don't think she should be redeemed but i just know no it doesn't seem right with the mechanics of the spell it just doesn't no. seem like it would be there should be it no seems redemption. like it would be too contrived and even the farewell thing seems a little what about I suicide for I, I think i think the thing about morgoth telling her okay now go kill yourself would be no i'm saying like she could have a moment of lucidity and kill oh, herself. oh 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 and kill herself in her yeah. moment of lucidity I, mean, I, I had thought about that yeah yeah, I'm I'm fine with that too. I could totally see that because she'd be dr- basically at the brink of insanity it, 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 when she's lucid. She understands what's happening to her, and that would just like the the despair would be. I'm terrible. I'm coming around. Uh, I'm coming around, Dave, to your Fingolfin esque uh, uh, rage Fay moment for Angrod. Because remember, Angrod. He's been the anger management dude from the beginning, right? I mean, Angron yep. has had anger issues. And to show him having lost everything at the end, right? His wife, oh, yeah. has, he's just, you know, found that his wife betrayed them. And then, you know, she commits suicide. And so even though he may in that moment realize that she didn't do it under her own power, um, still she's dead now and he's lost everything. And, you know, so he's the guy who was already super angry after the kinslaying and then the abandonment by Feanor. So, 
you know, he's been, and then of course the, the conflict with Caranthir. So he has been like a cauldron of boiling anger from the very beginning of his character introduction. Um, so to like have him just point. like lose it, like, so, you know, yeah. Anra just snaps and we can have him like carve his way. So it can be slightly Fingolfin-esque in the sense that he effectively like carves his way through the orcs on the battlefield approaches a Balrog, duels the Balrog as a kind of little taste and anticipation of the duel with Morgoth, um, and then is crushed. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that would... Uh, and then Marie points out that Ignor could break his sword while trying to come to his brother's aid. Um, sure. Yeah, we need Ignor to break his sword, so absolutely. Um, and Nick, I'm not sure... I mean, we're arguing against Ethelos dying redeemed, so she dies unredeemed. There's yeah. no redemption. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. We're not worried about her being redeemed. Um, right. She would be, she's not, she's not a, a, like, we don't get hope from her. We have pity. She she is an object of pity yeah. only. Um, she is, and this happens a lot, of course, in the Silmarillion. She is an instance of the horrible works of Morgoth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and the terrible things that Morgoth does to people. Um so she is like, you know, like a little mini version of, um, um, uh, 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 like, like, like the Turin story, right? Uh, in a different, right. In Warwick, a different thing. Warwick, yeah. Warwick. Yep. Um, okay. Yeah, exactly. Brian, she doesn't overcome, she can't overcome the spell enough to work against Morgoth, but she right. might overcome it just enough to commit suicide. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that, that makes sense to me as opposed to like this complete moment of like complete clarity, but just enough to be able to offer self. And let's face it, people in despair committing suicide, that's a Tolkienian thing. Like through <laughs> and through. That's a Tolkien that happens on more than one occasion, right? In Tolkien's works. Um so yeah, I mean that's really kind of in keeping. I mean, for her, I mean she she has like a little Neonor moment. Like she's a she she would be a, you know maybe we have her jump off something like jump off the wall of Minas Tirith or something. Um, as oh an god, and, but not on fire, like off the prow. No, on not fire. on fire. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, yeah. Uh, That'd be way way too obvious a foreshadow. <laughs> yeah, no, no. The foreshadowing would be foreshadowing Neonor leaping into the yeah. Into right, right, the, right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Um, no, that's good. And then, and then Angrod, uh, no, you know, no Denethoring. No Denethoring. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, uh, Rhiannon, I don't think it will weaken the, su- the suicides of Turin, Neonor, and Mithros later. First of all, because those are all very different circumstances. We're going to parallel Neonor with the, like the plummeting to, to her death. But I mean, look, Rhiannon, on the one hand, I would say, how on earth could one weaken the suicide of Turin oh in Neonor? Like, that situation <laughs> is its own deal, right? And it's not going to be undermined by the fact that somebody else committed suicide in despair in quite different circumstances later on, or, or uh, earlier on. So, um, who knows? You know, oh, no, Neonor wouldn't have. I was going to say Neonor could have heard the story, but she wouldn't have, you know. Like, yeah, no, she. The story being told, she wouldn't have. Yeah. Never, yeah. never mind. Um, but anyway, yeah, no, I, I think I think that that works really well. Okay, now last thing. So, by the way, uh, we're totally not getting to episode ten tonight. That's absolutely not <laughs> happening. But we've done a lot of great work on the Dagor Aglareb. I'm happy with that. Um, uh, so just 
pointing out there's no I'm not I'm I'm well past the point of trying to no rush on to episode 10 yeah. now. Um but anyway, okay. Last thing, Doriath. Um what do we want to do with clearly Finrod is going to send a message, right? The orc army is bearing down on Minas Tirith. He's obviously going to send a message to Thingol, right? Help! Help! We're being destroyed, right? Um, what happens? What? So Thingol is... That's stu- a brilliant I mean, question. He's just... like the, re- the reveal has just happened, right? He's still awful sore about the kinslaying business, right? Um, enough to just be like, I don't care, let Finrod get destroyed? Like tit for tat? Yeah, I mean, but Finrod? That seems weird to me, yeah. yeah. It's hard. I mean, I could see him not bestirring himself to go help the Feanorians. Right. But how do we have Thingol... How can we have Thingol deciding to do nothing without completely losing all sympathy for Thingol at all? Like, without making him a villain from this point on, you know? The, you know, Brian Dimmick kind of... He's basically saying he could dither to the point where uh, I mean, yeah. I mean one option of course would be that he could send soldiers up but wait far too late for anything right yeah. right uh, yes um, would Beleg and Mablung go yeah and Tony says that Beleg and Mablung they would surely argue for intervention so right. Thingol would have to forbid them for going. I mean, that's the, clearly that's the only reason they wouldn't go. True. Um, Chris is and, suggesting and, maybe you know, Otherwise it, intercepts the message to Thingol instead of the message to the yeah, Feanorians. That's a good good point. I mean, Nick is pointing to something like that Thingol's first thought would be, I must defend my own borders. I must strengthen my own borders. You know, right. he'd be concerned about his own land but again it's finrod so it's yeah it's a hard that's it's a hard sell to just let finrod die yeah unless he doesn't think that um tony suggests maybe it's melian who advises against but why would melian advise why? against yeah it? why would she do it done? i mean if melian advises against it that would apply imply that not going is good advice Right. I mean, Very if we go right. under the premise that Melian generally gives good advice, uh, that Thingol doesn't listen to, that which Thingol doesn't listen to, uh, to have her give him bad advice that he does listen to would seem to kind of queer the pitch for later on, right? When, when we want it to be clear that he should always listen to his wife, and so when he doesn't listen to his wife, it's bad, right? Um, I mean. The obvious thing would be that she's giving him the advice to go, and he doesn't take her advice. <laughs> I mean, right. And there we yeah. want to be careful not to overplay that yeah, hand. Yeah, make right? it a to thing. Have him yeah. constantly ignoring his wife. Right, right, right. Uh, so Maria's That's, suggesting a compromise uh, Maria, would be Melian advises yeah. they send aid, but then he dithers and is too late to do so. Now, does he go... I mean, do the, do the soldiers start out i mean do they does he actually send them out and then the battle's over and i i don't know yeah have mablung show up too late right with a contingent because thingol took his own sweet time deciding 
And that... Ah! Oh! Okay. <laughs> In episode 10, we're going to be dealing with Fingolfin's reaction to the ban. Right? Right. If right. Fingolfin's reaction to the ban happens... in So... That so we have an awkward moment, right? The Dagor Aglora bends. Hooray! Every, you know, the good guys win. Then Thingol's army shows up and is like, uh, came to help. I <laughs> uh, guess we're a little bit late. Strong temptation from some of the Noldor, and I'm thinking some of the Fanorians would be quite open about saying, oh, well, right. thanks for that. That was wonderful. Uh, you guys are exactly as useless as we always thought you were. Uh, thanks right. for nothing. And you're, you expect, you're, you're this useless, and you expect us to conform to your stupid ban, right. right? I'll show you where you can put your ban, right? That would be the, like, uh, one very logical response. So then Fingolfin basically goes against that tide, and right. instead reaches out and, uh, you know, meets with the forces of Thingol there and reconciles. So he, it, w this would be the occasion which would then lead uh, in episode 10 to the sort of the reconciliation thing. Um, yeah. I kind of like that. I like, I like that. Well, give us an opportunity it, there. It, uh, I, it also deals with like it, it's, I mean, to have Thingol not send anybody or, you know, I could, it just doesn't make sense to me. But to have him dither about it yeah, yeah. to the point where it's too, you know, they get there too late. I think that makes more sense. So, uh, Nick, that what I was describing, the the armies of Doriath arriving too late and the Noldoran reaction to that late arrival. That's an episode 10 thing. I'm not suggesting we do right, that in, a, exactly. in episode nine. Um but we do need a short scene we need to in set this it up. episode. Yeah, it, the setup would be here, but I don't think it needs to take a lot of screen time. No, I think that we need to have, may, and maybe we can leave it with an open question. So, okay, so getting back into Thingol's head for a second, I'm thinking what happens is he hears about the the danger, right? And his first reaction, like Thingol's knee jerk, is let the Noldor stew, right? They've earned this. Right. The orcs can't get in here. We're safe in Doriath. We'll protect our borders. And if the orcs try to come this way, we'll kick them back out into play. But forget it. We're not sticking out our necks for the bloody kinslaying Noldor, right? <laughs> um, that, that's his first reaction, right? Right. But then he thinks better of it. Um, you know, and we need to show him not just being browbeaten by Melian, you know, who's like, now, dear, right, let's think this through a little bit more oh, carefully. Yeah. We, don't, we don't have to do it like that. Thingle, like, that's his first impulse, and we can be unclear as to whether or not he's going to change his mind, but then we can show, like, he, 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 he did change his mind, right? Um, uh, so, um, um, so yeah, yeah, we can. Melia doesn't really say anything. She just give him the side eye. Right, exactly. So we can, we, we can. In other words, what we show the one scene we get in Doriath uh, in episode nine early on, I would think in the episode Finrod's messenger arriving, um, uh, could be left ambiguous. Right, we don't like. It looks like a uh, uh, Thingol isn't going to come. When then we don't go back to Doriath in the rest of the episode, and his armies don't arrive. Right, the battle's over, and Thingol hasn't shown up. Then everybody from the Noldor and including the audience is left to assume the worst, right? That he just right. stayed home and left Finrod to die. 
Then at the beginning of episode 10, Mablung shows up, and then we're like, oh yeah, okay, it was kind of awkward, but Thingol decided to join in. Uh, sorry, we missed the battle. Um, so, I think that, that I think, makes sense of thing. It works psychologically, you know, in Thingol's current state of mind, right? But I, I, I think we could execute that, or at least I should say, I trust implicitly that our brilliant script designers can arrange that so that Thingol does not yet look like a completely unredeemable jerk at this point. Um, uh, so I think y'all can handle that. Okay. Good. I think we pretty much. I think that works. That's a pretty good episode for the Dagor Aglarab. I think. Uh, I think this this combines a whole bunch of things and works within our our larger, you know, uh, themes this season without being too forced. So, I think the previews for this are going to definitely make people watch it. Oh man, yeah. This know, is next be, time on this is the be an exciting episode. That's right. Very That's right. exciting episode. Um. Oh yeah, like despairing suicides. Uh, you know, Balrog, Balrog slaying Noldor <laughs> princes. Oh man, broken swords, Woo-hoo! broken swords. More swords will be broken. Named characters <laughs> will be slain. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, that's the that's the key to making an epic TV that's hit right. these days. Yeah, that's pretty much yeah. all the elements you need, right? There will be yeah. you know, you catastrophes and unexpected betrayals. That's right. Yeah. Actually, and you know, the whole entire cast will get wiped out. That's true. That's later. That's a few seasons down the road. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Oh, it's coming. Marie says eventually. Yes. Eventually. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We're, oh, oh, I forgot to mention. I think it was Marie mentioned earlier on. One of the, the one of the other genius things about killing off Angrod and his wife and Ethelos both in this episode, Oradreth is an orphan now. Right. We just decided right. that Oradreth was definitely oh, yeah. going to be the son of of Angrod, right? So now I meant Oradreth to say that I saw the same thing, and I meant to say something like Oradreth is the orphan. Yeah, it's like that's right. Perfect. So yeah. that's why, of course, now this is why he's always hanging out with Uncle Finrod, right? Uh, because Finrod right. kind of takes him in now that both of his parents have been killed in one horrible, tragic day uh, in this battle, right? So, right. yeah, yeah. And, and you know, his father going down in a blaze of glory like this, again, you know, so this also helps to contribute to, like, why Oradreth is kind of a milksop and tentative and not wanting to charge into battle later on, right? right? right. Um, I mean, this can work in a whole bunch of ways. So, uh, love it. Love it. Uh, love this. Uh, the, the, so, yeah, that that is an unexpected. I was not thinking of Oradreth at all. But that is like such a wonderful perk of killing off both of his parents in this episode that like it totally puts the stamp of approval on killing off Angrod. <laughs> like that's absolutely the right thing to do. Here. Now, did you tell everybody here tonight that we're going to be doing this again next week? OK, no, I haven't. So that is the last thing I'm okay. going to say. And then we're going to go. Um we have to do. We have to monkey with the schedule a little bit, as is often the case. We've got some conflicts coming up, so the next scheduled episode. Was, we, wait, hang, hang on. Let we, me, we, well, we have some. Is that the okay. royal we? It's the royal we. <laughs> yes, the royal we. That is that is that is we and other people. As in the Olsen family. Basically. It's not the Olsen family, actually. This oh, is. Uh, we're accommodating some other. Th- there's another broadcast oh, okay. that we're shifting 
to accommodate and everything. Uh, This is the star-crossed episode of the Mythgard Movie Club, which has already been canceled twice. Uh, Oh, no. uh, And so they were trying to go for the first, which was in between some film sessions, but then they're like, they couldn't do it, and they could do the eighth, and I'm like, look, that's been canceled twice. We can shift some film. So, anyway. Uh, um, So we're shifting to next week. So our next episode will be next week on Thursday, August 1st, uh, and then we will, our next episode after that will be, um, uh, will be three weeks after that. So we'll be back to the regular schedule. So we'll be back to the 22nd of August. So, uh, so the next session will be on August 1st and the session after that will be on the August 22nd. But people that have subscribed will get a, we'll get a email right with the update. Yeah. 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 I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Um, try to remember to do that this evening. So, um, I think we'll be discussing, our final creative content session, our final di- uh, digression session uh, for season four next week, uh, where we wanted to talk about dragons, of course, plus any other topics listeners wish to raise. Not sure if maybe we might, I don't know where we'll squeeze episode 10 in because we didn't get to it. But anyway, we'll sort that out. Um, but do, if you have other things that you want, you know, we've discovered, a bu- we've discovered, we've discussed a bunch of odds and ends, the size of Therondor, um, you know, uh, 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 Mithros's prosthetic hand. You know, there are a bunch of really interesting questions and topics that you guys have raised on the discussion boards that we have addressed. Um, so, I. Uh, we're going to talk about dragons and sort out dragons next time, which is great. We kind of pushed that back last time we talked about uh, the bad guys. Um, so we'll wrestle we're with doing the dragon music question the very end, next right? time. But, yeah, Are we doing music at the very end? Yeah, we do we're going to do that in post-production. End. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, uh, Philip, I've, se- I've, I've heard some of the work that you've been doing uh, already on this. I'm really looking forward to, uh, to talking about the music stuff with you when we get into the post-production episodes. But, okay, so... Um, so we'll do dragons next time again. So please do go to the discussion boards if you have other questions or, or, or creative issues like we've been doing that you would like us to address. We'll see if maybe we can squeeze it into next week, August 1st, Thursday at 10 p.m. Eastern Time, which is our next episode. Um, and, uh, you know, if not, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it in the context, maybe a post-production. But anyway, we'll try to squeeze it in there. And then we'll come back and we'll do uh, episode 10 and 11, I think, after uh, for on the, on the 22nd. All right. That's the plan. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for joining us. This was a really fun discussion. I love working out this kind of thing. Uh, This has been this has been great. So thanks for joining us. And I will say, as always, thanks for listening. and Godspeed.